Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. Everybody doing well? Yes. Still some tryptophan kicking in from the turkey. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you do not look like you gained a pound over the holidays. Go ahead. If you have to lie, it's okay. It's okay, really. As someone who struggles with their weight, I'm never insulted by somebody saying, hey, did you lose weight? No, but thank you, right? So anyhow, it is great to see you. I hope you had a great uh, Christmas, New Year, all that great stuff. And, uh, and, and so, and even if you've started a New Year's resolution and you've already crashed and burned, you're at the right place today because there's grace here at church. Amen? Amen? Right? Yeah, some of you are still in denial. But it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So I want to I start this service, uh, this, this message, by just kind of bragging on you for a minute if I can. Is that okay? Yeah, no, nobody has a problem with that. So, uh, but last year, 2018, is a year that was a first and a high for a lot of things at Life Church. I mean, there just God did some amazing things. So, I just want to take about 90 seconds, and I just want to just recap it really quick, and just. Just for those of you that maybe you're brand new to Life Church, this is kind of what we've been doing the last year. For those of you that have been along for the journey, thank you, and just check this out. The biggest mission field that we have in our world is right in our own backyard, or rather maybe we're in its own backyard. Somewhere in that vicinity is where God's opening up a door for us. What do you mean he's opening up a door? That means somebody in this room, you've got a piece of property, you own a building, or you have the ability to write a check. I don't care which three, I need it. I'm telling you, get your Diet Coke and your bag of Funyuns. It's on like Donkey Kong. Say your kingdom come. And that you're going to pastor your first church and that you're going to be the Milwaukee campus pastor for Life Church. As you know, we've been growing, and part of that growth means that we're running out of seats in our current theater. We're going to be moving from our current theater, theater number 10, right over there, to our new theater, theater number 9, right here. Pretty good year. Amen. 
So we're starting a brand new series this weekend. I hope you'll be with me every Sunday in the month of January. I'm going to be here every weekend unpacking this. And uh, it's about going for gold. And I, I want to explain this a bit. My goal is that as a pastor is to, that you grow and that you flourish personally. And that your marriage and your family and your home and your kids and whatever that looks like for you grows and flourishes that you do the same thing in the marketplace that God's called you to, and that we as a congregation do the same thing. But I, here's what I know. In order for us to do that, you have to. And so you're the leader of your own life, and you then become the lid if you don't grow and expand that capacity because all leadership, growth, development is going to begin with you. And what happens sometimes in our life is we buy into this mindset that's not correct theologically or it doesn't even functionally work. And that's where we dichotomize or we separate life into two parts. It's like this is my spiritual life here on Sunday and then this is the rest of my life. And what happens on Sunday doesn't really affect how, what I do at school or doesn't really affect what I do at my job. It's two different things. The problem with that is it becomes competing with one another. And my private life, my public life are two different things. And I'm not talking about struggles. I'm not talking about sin issues that can come up in our lives or, or, or storms that can come in. I'm just talking about a conscientious decision or maybe even an unconscious decision where we kind of separate that out. It's almost like somebody who says, hey, man, I'm having a heart attack. And, but that's just a physical issue, but emotionally it won't affect me, and mentally it won't affect me, and spiritually it won't affect me. Well, you're crazy. Because what happens to you physically will impact you emotionally, will impact you uh, mentally, will impact, impact you spiritually, positive or negative. There, it, it, there's no way to, to separate your life into sections or into compartments. And we like to do that because it insulates us, it, it kind of protects us. But the reality is, is we're one holistic person. And so what affects my spirit affects my mind, affects my emotions, and affects my body, and vice versa. And so when you begin to look at it from a, a total piece, your spiritual being is the core of who you are. The Bible says it's what will last forever. That from dust we've come, our mortal bodies, and from dust will return. But this spirit, the person that's really you, is what will last forever. And even people that don't believe in God or don't go to church or, or believe the same way that you or I believe, they still believe in there's a spiritual realm and a spiritual health. I mean, you can go to any club fitness center and they're going to talk about the spiritual well-being. 20 years ago, nobody connected sweat and exercise to the spirit. But today it's like, no, no, we understand there's all of this. Well, where does that come from? Well, I would confer to you that all truth is God's truth. And so the way God created you and I, he created us to have a mind and an intellect. So don't check your brains at the door. He created you to have a body. So it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. And he also created you with a spirit, with an emotion. And the Psalmist David would say, that's your heart. It's the seat of your emotion. So above all else, guard your heart, guard your spirit, because out of it flows the issues of your life. From the abundance of the heart, the soul, the spirit, the mouth speaks. So you can't break it down. And, it's, and, and so what I, what I want to do is I really want to focus on the internal, on the spiritual, because I think it affects everything else in your life. And I think everything in your life affects everything in your family. And your family affects your job. It affects your career. It affects your vocation. It affects the legacy of who you are. And so I think the key to this is what I'm calling the gold share. 
It's, it's a pursuit of the gold chair. So what exactly is a gold chair? I'm so glad you asked that question. On your seat, you may be sitting on top of it. There's a little car that looks just like this. And it explains kind of our philosophy here at Life Church of what church is about and kind of how we do church with the blue chair, the red chair, the green chair, and the gold chair. But so I don't insult your intelligence, and so I don't spend too much time on this. I asked the media team to kind of put together the clip that I preached on this particular subject matter back in August. Now, I'm going to be a little more tanned than my white pasty self right now. Understand? So I won't be any better looking, but I might look thinner. So check out this, and then we're going to come back. It'll help explain the gold chair. I want to talk about this table for a few minutes. The church is a table where people come to be fed. The table is the church right here. This white table is the church, is, a ta- is where people come to be fed. We are then to present Christ hot and fresh every week. We're to present him to build the believer and serve the seeker. Build the believer and serve the seeker. So there's this table here that represents the church and there's four seats. The first seat is the blue chair. This is what I call the food dude. This is where the, the, the person that is serving up the bread of life hot and fresh is the pastor. This is the minister, it's the campus pastor. It's whoever's presenting the word that weekend. They're sitting in this seat. If you've been around here for a while, you know what this is. This is the center chair. It's red like the devil, hot like you're going to hell. Now look, if you're sitting in this chair, you know, you don't need anybody else to point this out. You know your, your junk, you know all how messed up you are. But a healthy church should have people that are sitting in this seat. If you don't have people that are far away from God coming to your weekend gatherings and coming to the church, coming to being a part, something's wrong. The green chair is the newbie. There are people that are brand new to their faith in Jesus Christ and they're brand new to Life Church, to the faith community. So you got the center chair, you got the, the, the new chair, and then you got the gold chair. This is the mature Christ follower. You get to be right here next to the, to, to the person that's new in their faith so that, so that when they have questions, you can lean over and say, let me help you where to find that. And the goal for you is to see as many people come to this chair and move to this chair. And we link arms together and that's what we're constantly doing. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work and develop and we begin to develop it so that it comes right around so that this is the ultimate seat. It's not about saint or sinner or those that are in between. It's, a, it's about both, both and. That's what the table's about. That's what it's all about. So that kind of unpacks and explains a little bit about that gold chair. And we're going to be progressing forward to that in these next couple of weeks. But I, I think, I think the, that whole pursuit of spiritual maturity, which is what that is, coming from uh, being away from God to faith in Christ and developing that to, to, to spiritual maturity, which we're always on a journey. It, it, it begins with a simple question, which is on the back side of this card I asked you to pick up. And that's, what's my why? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What's my why? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's my calling? What's my purpose? Why does God have me on this planet, living where I live? What is that? And some of you may say, well, you know, man, I'm just 13 and my voice is changing and and I'm just going through puberty and I'm happy to have two chest hairs today. and, And that's what's going on, you know, but there's a plan and a purpose. And as you are coming through those teen years, God's going to begin to reveal that to you. That's what revelation means, to reveal his plan and purpose for your life. What is that? God's going to speak to you about that, not just your mom and your dad. He's going to speak to you about that. 
Maybe you're in college and you're just, man, you're just having fun and don't weight me down. And, you know, I'm a young adult. I'm just trying to get. No, no. What is the plan? And the, what, why are you here? What are you doing? You're, you're, you're here to do more than just consume and, 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 and live. You're, there's a reason. Maybe you're, maybe, maybe all of a sudden you're in the thick of life and you're just like, man, I have totally just kind of almost kind of like vertigo. I, I just have lost my, 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 my bearings and maybe you're, you're retired. This is what's interesting to me. I don't know why we do this, but, but sometimes we think that, well, the goal is, is to work myself so that I just don't do anything. Well, that's not even theologically correct. It's not even biblical. Sorry to bust your bubble. Some of you are going, really? I got to work till I die? You got to have a plan, a purpose, and a why until you die. You may not always work at the same place, but there's a reason. Because work predates the fall of man. Before sin ever entered the world, God gave Adam a job. Here was, here's your calling. Here's your why. Adam's calling, his cause, was to rule over the face of the earth, was to name every animal and every critter that crawled across the, 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 the surface of the earth or flew in the air or swam in the sea. That was his responsibility, to take this world and have dominion. That was his job description. So what I'm trying to say is your job description, your why is much bigger than, your, than a job that you're doing today, but it, it's, it's what is the why? Acts chapter 20, if you have your Bible, I'm going to give one scripture today. That's not going to mean I'm going to preach short, but it's, I'm going to give one scripture. And it defines Paul's why. The Apostle Paul, who will write more of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit than any other individual, who will give his life for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the gospel, defines his why. And this is all throughout scripture. Uh, all the, these various individuals that we read in Scripture, they all disclose, here's my why, here's my why, here's my why. Because without your why, it's the way Proverbs says, without a vision, the people perish. Without a why for your life, it ceases to exist. What is the why? What is the calling? What's the purpose? Paul says it this way, Acts 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, for my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What's that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's his why. Let's read that again. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. What's the task? It's the to, it's to testifying of the good news of God's grace. That's his why. Then you may go, oh, yeah, yeah, great. This is Sunday. He's a preacher, and Paul's a preacher, and he wrote the New Testament, and da 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 So he didn't have a real job like you. He just does what he does on Sunday, and I don't know, drinks coffee, and fellowships with the angels of the rest of the week. Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> Paul was a tent maker, because Paul will go on to disclose that his calling was not to the Jew, but to the Gentile. It was not to bring the gospel to the Jews, but to the Gentile. And because that was a highly contentious even the value of that, the validity of that was, was contentious all throughout the book of Acts. You see Peter's having to discuss it with the other disciples. There's a huge uh, uh, council in, in the first century church on whether the Gentiles were even worthy of the gospel or should they even take the Gentiles the gospel before all the Jews had received the gospel. There was all this back and forth. There was a lot of debate, a lot of going on. Finally, they said, okay, great, let's do both. It's made for both. And Paul says, then my role is to take the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles. And nobody wanted to support that. 
because they were Jewish believers and Jewish believers had no, I mean, these people had no connection with Gentiles and really had no value for Gentiles. And so the reality is, is that they were just kind of left to their own. So what did Paul do? Paul became what was called a tent maker. Paul had his own business in order to pay for the ministry of his, of, of his calling of testifying the good news of God's grace. So I would suggest to you, he's not like me. He's like you. Yet he authors most of the New Testament. Yet he is self-described as a Hebrew among Hebrews. He, he was part of the religious establishment. And, and when he turns his back on the Jewish establishment and he follows Jesus Christ and has that road to Damascus experience, suddenly he finds himself out of a job, out of power, out of money, completely ostracized by everybody. And he's got to figure out how he's going to pay his bills because his objective was not to make money or to make wealth or, to, or basically to work for, for 48 weeks a year and have four weekends and four weeks off. It was to testify of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, a group of people nobody thought were valuable. So how does he know his why? How does he get this? There's, there's four realities that we just see right here just in this one verse that kind of inform Paul's why. First of all, he had a reality of God. He had a reality of God. And if you're going to, to have a why and understand your why, you're going to have to have these realities. He had a reality of God. Paul was convinced that God was real and that he is real and that the ambition of his life would fall meaningless if God wasn't at the center. Doesn't matter what you do, it's the why. I believe that the only two things that are eternal are God's word and people. It doesn't matter whether you sell widgets for a living, whether you sell services for a living, whether you work at a plant, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a teacher, you're an educator, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're a scientist, you're an attorney. It doesn't matter. The reality is at the end of the day, everything else is going to go away except for people and God's word. And Paul was like, look, the reality of God is the most important pressing thing in my life. Again, he walked away from a very prestigious place in the Jewish establishment because of his reality of who God was. And that's, that leads me to the second reality. It's a reality of grace. Paul has this amazing reality of grace. And if you're going to discover and live and flourish in your why, you're going to have to do this as well. Acts chapter 9 tells Paul's story of conversion. Paul is on his way to Damascus and, and literally God knocks him off of, 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 of the beast in which he is riding and throws him onto the ground and says, Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul has this com incredible conversion experience. Prior to that, Paul is persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. At that point, he gives his life to God and he surrenders to, to the supremacy of Jesus Christ and, and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in his life. Paul doesn't spend his life with regret for what he did. He allowed the grace of God to overcome him. It'll be Paul that will write the words that, that we've all fallen short and fall, uh, we've, all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. That, that, that Paul will be the one that will talk about the grace, then the struggle with the grace. And Romans chapter six, Romans chapter seven, Romans chapter eight, why? Because he received so much grace. And if you're going to live in your why, you're going to have to accept grace and give grace. You're going to have to accept grace that, guess what? You're not perfect. Guess what? You're going to sin. Guess what? You're going to fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? You're going to need the grace. Do you understand that we all need grace? If we did not need grace, then God would have never given it to us. Why is it that we are so afraid of grace? As Christians, I don't need that. I've got my stuff together. No, you don't. You are a jacked up mess in denial. You need, if nothing else, you're dealing with pride in your life, which will destroy you. 
Pride of life, lust of the flesh. So the two big issues that we deal with in, 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 as humans. And so the reality is, I'm not saying that you just go do what you want to do and use grace as a welcome mat to wipe your feet off on. I'm saying that you have to accept that grace, that God's forgiven you, that he's restored you, that he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And, and at the same time, you have to extend that grace towards other people because you've been given much grace. The next reality that we see is the reality of the gospel. It's the reality of the gospel. Paul truly saw the gospel as good news. Notice when he, when he describes it, he says that my task is to bring the gospel, the good news. That gospel means good news, but he viewed it as good news. He viewed it as this is the only thing worth leveraging my life for. That the gospel is it. Again, God's word and people, that's it. And everything else is secondary. It's all, it's transformative. He believed that the gospel was what would change somebody. He believed is what the gospel would give somebody, not just great, not just heaven and eternity, but, but would give them the most optimum life here and now. And I'm just going to tell you, if the reason why I live for God is not because I'm a pastor, it's because I think it's the best way to live this life. If I thought it was better just to go live some hellacious life, I would not be doing what I'm doing for a living. Trust me. If I thought that, that running the streets and getting drunk and getting high and, be, and, and waking up in a different bed every other day with, with, with a different woman, if that was the way to an optimum lifestyle, if I thought that the fastest of cars and the biggest of houses and the most opulence that I could have was the very zenith of it, that's what I'd give my life to. But the reality is, is we read all the time of people who have all of that and they're empty. People who, who ascend to some heights that we only could dream about and they are completely, utterly a disaster. Why? Because it's the core of their being. They don't know their why. All they're dealing with is what? Fame. What? They've got money. What? They've got fortune. What? They're well known. What? They've got power. What? They own a business. What? They've got this, da, 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 whatever, what may be. But what isn't the why? What is an external thing that everybody else sees? But what's the core? What's the why? Paul understood the reality of the gospel was the only thing that was transformative. Therefore, he embraces that, not just in his ministry, but in his business, because his business is what allowed him to be able to do the ministry that God called him to. And he also gets the reality of the cause. This, this is the crux of the why. It's the cause it's not just that God is real and that grace is real and that the gospel is real. It's that he had a responsibility, a task of telling, of testifying to everyone about this good news. I love the word cause. If you've been reading the soap and doing the, 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 you know, the scripture, observation, application, prayer, walking through that. We've been walking through the book of John this past week. And you see that John the Baptist, he knows his lane, and, he, and they try to, they're trying to move him to the Messiah level. And he goes, no, 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 that's not my lane. That's not why I was called. I, my role, my why, is to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus, many times, is, is, finds himself in situations that it, his time has not yet come. He, 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 his cause in which to, to, to be the Messiah, to save the humanity, to give his life a ransom for all of us, had not yet come. One of the funniest parts is at Cana of Galilee. When Jesus is there with his mother, there's a wedding, and they run out of wine. And, they, and then Mary says, hey, my son's the Messiah. He's God, so he can fix this. Jesus, just fix it. 
Now, if you've ever, if you if you have a mom that's proud of you, you you get this, like, because she's always talking about how great you are, and it's almost embarrassing. If you're in the ministry, it, it kind of gets magnified in a way. Like with my mom, I say to mom, "Look, if I'm going to go with you to the department store in the town that she lives in, or the grocery store, I don't want to pray for everybody, because this is what happens. We're going to the little grocery store." And at this grocery store, you can buy everything. You think you buy everything at Fleet Farm, I should take you to Food Giant. I mean, you can buy shotguns and shotgun shells right next to cake and bakes. I mean, it's, it's all, it's just, and then, and then you got pork and beans, and then there's the butcher back. I mean, it's just the whole thing's all together. It's a one-stop place. And so we're there, and, and so mom will run into some lady she knows in town. It's a small little town. I call it Skeeterville. There's one stoplight, no joke. One stoplight. And uh, they just got a McDonald's, and my dad's so excited. So anyhow, it's attached to a gas station. Go ahead. So we'll be in there, and this lady, oh, Paul, I'm not doing well, and what's going on? And, well, I got a headache, and, well, my son's a pastor. He'll pray for you. Aaron, just lay hands and just pray for Mom, Mom, I am not doing that here in Food Giant. Yes, yes, he he will, and, and you'll get healed in the name of Jesus. Aaron, now. That's what's happening. And Jesus looks at Mary and says, my time's not yet come. This isn't, this isn't what I'm doing, Mom, to, to supply wine for, for, for the wedding. But she just looks at the, at the other people and says, just whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she walks off. And so Jesus has to do the miracle. It's his first miracle that he does. What's your cause? What's your why? Do you know what your why is? Do you know why you're here, what the cause is? Paul knew that it was in the reality of God and his grace and the gospel and ultimately the cause. So I want to explain this a little bit because I think this may, may be the easiest way to do this is to illustrate this. Now, there's an author, I don't know if he's a Christian, if he's not, whatever, uh, but uh, wrote a great book, a guy named Simon Sinek, New York Times bestseller. It's, it's a book, he's written several books, but it's called Start With Why. He did a TED Talk uh, so if you Google that or you YouTube that, don't do it now because we'll all hear it. But he talks. And, uh, but, he, but in this book, it's on page 41, I think. It's called The Golden Circle. And, uh, and if you can't read my handwriting, I'm sorry. I always want to be a doctor, so I have poor penmanship. And, and so he, um, he says basically in a corporation, and this would be true of individuals, there are three concentric circles that comprise this, getting to this, how, how you get to this, why. The first is the, the outer is the what. And uh, the what is, is, it's what you do. It's what you produce. It's a service you perform. So if you think about it from a, from a corporation perspective, it's, um, it's the product, it's the function, it's the service. If you're Starbucks, you're, you're, you're making coffee, right? You're, you're selling coffee. If you're Walgreens, you're selling pharmaceuticals. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're uh, McDonald's, you're selling Big Macs. That, that's your what. Everybody sees the what. Everybody knows the what. But then the next level that gets a little bit tighter is the how. Now, the how, it's your, it's your processes. It's your systems. It may be proprietary. Anybody like KFC? No? You people are in denial. Um, <laughs> Because, dude, there is something like, the, the, you know, it's the colonel's original recipe, right? Like, it's the thing. Like, you, nobody knows what it is. And if you know what it is, please see me afterwards because I'd like to know what it is. Because I love me some original crispy KFC. I'm just telling you. Do you know there are more KFCs in the world than there are just about any other kind of restaurant? I can go anywhere in the world and I can find a KFC. Seriously. And in Asia, everywhere. It's amazing. I love it. Anyhow, fried chicken. So, 
it's proprietary, and so, so you don't know what that is. So, so, so this is, this is kind of your process, your system, whatever that may be, whether that's known or not known. But at the core of it is the why. And Sinek talks about this. Most corporations, most businesses, organizations, the what is very well known. The how may be guarded, but it's somewhat known. But the why, most of the time, people can't tell you why they do what they do. Why they work for that company. Why Starbucks makes coffee. Why Walgreens sell pharmaceuticals. What's the why behind it? And so the reality is, is that why basically is there, there are three terms that, that he uses to kind of describe this. It's the purpose, it's the belief, and I like this, it's cause. That's my favorite. It's the why behind it, it's the purpose, it's why it exists, it's, it's, it's why you believe what you believe, it's, it's, it's the cause. It's, it's why, why are they selling coffee? Why are they doing that? And you must first know the why before you, before you can ever define the how or deliver on the what. But most of the time, people get tripped up and they go to the what first, because that's the easiest thing, because it's most visible. And, then, and then, then we'll figure this out, and then the why, whatever, da 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 And some people go, oh, this is easy. I get it, man. My what is I'm trying to, in my job, I'm trying to make money. I mean, my, my why is I'm trying to make money. You know, the problem with that is making money is not a why, it's a what. It's a byproduct. It's kind of like going to the gym. You want to lose weight. That's the byproduct. But why do you want to lose weight? What's the motivating factor behind that? You know, I know like Pastor Dylan, he looks a little bit like Aquaman. Anybody? But he doesn't have, quite have the body. Amen? And he told me he's working on it. He's going to get all swollen up. I want to see that. Why? Why is he going to the gym? Because he wants to look like Aquaman. But he's going to work out. Amen? You see what I'm saying? That's the what. So sometimes we get all tripped up on that kind of a deal. And, and th- th- so, so if you think about it this way, so think about like a product like Apple, Apple computers. Here's their what. We make great computers, beautifully designed, simple to use, user-friendly. Do you want to buy one? Not really, because there's 100 other people that are selling the same product you're selling. But when you go to the why, completely different. Everything we do at Apple, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. We challenge the status quo by making our products with a beautiful design, a simple-to-use interface, and extremely user-friendly. And we happen to make great computers. Would you like to buy one? Yeah. Because I don't want somebody telling me what I have to do. I don't want someone selling me. I, I, I like the idea that I'm challenging the status quo. I like the idea that's a bit contrarian. I like that. I'll take three of those. I'm not really buying the, 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 the system. I'm really buying the why. I'm buying why they're doing what they're doing. Think about it this way. Martin Luther King Jr., famous speech, 1963, August the 28th, Lincoln Memorial, hot D.C. day, Martin Luther King Jr. delivers a speech. Now, he's not the first one on the scene to talk about equal rights. He's not the first one on the scene to talk about racism in America. He's not the only voice. He's not the only Baptist minister that, that, that's, that's, that's there. Matter of fact, he's one of several that are there. And, and, but to that 250,000 crowd that was there on that, that summer afternoon, he gives that great, well-known speech of, I have a dream. It's not, I have a plan. It's not I have a what. It's not I have a why. I have a how. It's a why. Why is it 
that we should have racial reconciliation in this country? Why is it that there should be equality in this country? Why is it? He, he infamously says, I have a dream where all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, would be able to join hands and stand together and sing in the old words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And he sits down as any great minister does in the middle of the storm. And it's a mic drop moment. He never tells you how. He never tells you what. He just explains the dream, the why. Here's what I want you to understand. Organizationally, people never buy the what. They always buy the why. Relationally, people are not attracted to the what. They're always attracted to the why. Personally, you and I are never motivated, drawn, or led by the what, but always by the why. It's the why. Why do you exist? Why are you here? Why is this going on? Why, why? That's always the question. And so today, I want you to tell me, or tell yourself, actually, what's your why? What is your purpose? What's your belief? What's your cause? I'm not looking at the what you do in life. I'm not looking at where you work. I'm not looking at how you do it and what's your plan and your strategy. What's the why? See, it's not that I, I well, well my, man, my why is that I'm just paying my bills. No, that's a what. That's a byproduct. Why are you paying your bills? This is what you're supposed to do. Why? Why are you working where you're working? Why are you going to school where you're going to school? Why are you giving yourself that? Why do you do what you do? See, at Life Church, here's what's interesting. This kind of maybe will bring it home to all of us collectively. At Life Church, we believe in life change. That's the why. The what would be weekend services and gatherings. The how would be our various programmings and ministries and small groups and how we do this. But the why is that we believe in life change. Are we the only people that preach out of the Bible? No. Are we the only Protestant church in town? No. Are we the only people that, that, that have a weekend gathering? No. So why is it that 4,500 people over seven uh, Christmas services came and showed up at Life Church at this campus? It's because of the why. It had nothing to do with the what. There were a gazillion other, other options in town. How we did it, it's just like anybody else. Are we telling a different message? No, it's the why. The why is, is that you and I all believe that there's a God that loved us so much that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and that he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no man gets to the Father but through the Son. And we believe that that gospel message is so transformative in our life that we want everybody around the corner and around the world to know and to hear so that they can be set free the same way we are. And we come here together because we all as a band of believers believe that message. You understand? So, and people go, well, but the church in America is dying. No, we don't have preachers that talk about why. We got churches that are focused on how and focused on what, but nobody stands up and goes, no, there is one and his name is Jesus. And my job is simply to communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so you're here, not because of me. There's a dozen other people that can do what I do. You're not here because of the music. There's all kinds of musicians. You're not here because of the building. There's a lot of buildings. You're here for one simple reason. We all believe in the power of life change in ourselves and our kids and the world in which we live in. And we know that without the hope of Jesus Christ, there is no other hope. So what is your why? Why do you exist? If I'm filling this out, my why is that I'm called a vocational ministry, full-time, to lead and feed God's people to change the world. 
That's what motivates me. Seven services over Christmas doesn't motivate me. I, quite frankly, would like to do one, if you really want to know it. If you want to know how I would love to do church every week, it would be we'd start with a brunch. <laughs> we'd have service. And we'd end with a buffet. <laughs> one service. That's heaven. Literally, marriage, separate lamb, that's what's going to happen. But, but on this side of eternity, we do, why? Why? Because why spend millions of dollars building a building that's big enough to facilitate that when we can accomplish what we're doing right here with this and then through multiple campuses and multiple sites be able to reach people far away from God? What motivates multi-site? We can reach more people. What what motivates greater than trying to get to a million? It's because I know that for every dollar given, on an average, three to seven people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we stand before God, you will not find me and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you push me? Why didn't you equip me? Why didn't you encourage me? No, when we stand before God, you'll say thank you. There were times I was so mad at you because you kept pushing to give and to give and this generosity and all this kind of stuff. But thank you, because here's my reward. Why? Why do you give that kind of money? Have you ever thought about that? You go to church to find out that you're a sinner and that you're going to die. There's only one option, and the church has it. His name is Jesus. We want you to give your life to that. Believe everything in that book that was written 2,000 years ago about a man you've never physically met. We call that the good news. And oh, by the way, we want you to give of your time and of your talents, 10% of your income, and then generosity really begins at 11%. Who does that? Any accountant or CPA with the right mind will tell you, you're crazy. How does it work? Because it's never about the what, and it's not about the how. It's about the why. It's that we believe there's only two things that are eternal, God's word and people. And that's what matters. Red, yellow, black, white, they are precious in his sight. What's your cause? What's your why? Pilate asked Jesus, it's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 18, are you the king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am the king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into this world, that I should bear witness to the truth. That was his why. And with that, he changed the world. What is your why? Father, I just thank you for your word that's so simple, that's so clear. Holy Spirit, speak to us that we will understand. If we don't know our why, let us ask boldly of you and you will speak. If we do, Lord, bring us back. If we're falling away from that, course correct us. But help us to begin the pursuit of what you've called us to with you pursuing that gold chair and accomplishing our why in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.